Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own Gates Interior Design in Nashville, Tennessee. My company specializes in living a stylish and holistic life. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive from a well-designed life. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your best life through intention. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month to be inspired, transformed, and motivated to live your best life. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host Amanda and today's guest is architect, feng shui interior designer, and best-selling author Angie Cho. In the late 90s, while attending college, Angie was fascinated by the way that spaces interacted and integrated with the lives of the people that inhabited them. She fondly recalls that she was the only student in her architectural photography class that captured images of people while everyone else focused solely on the building structures. It was then that she began to see how her design work fully came to life and thus she decided to focus her talents on interior spaces. Her desire to understand this symbiotic relationship between space and its occupants led her to investigate and integrate holistic principles of feng shui, environmental psychology, and sustainable green design in her work. From Cal Berkeley, a lead accredited professional and certified feng shui consultant, Angie's goal is to create spaces by enhancing balance and harmony, sustainability, and her focus is creating nurturing and supportive environments for her clients. Join me as I sit down with Angie today to learn more about feng shui, spaces, sustainability, and architecture. Angie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been stalking you on Twitter for probably about a year, maybe two years now. It's been a while. And um, it was funny because I've had this podcast now for about three years. And uh, my better half, we were in bed a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, why don't you ask her to be on the show? And I was like, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. (laughs) Oh, I'm so flattered. You're talking about me when you're in bed. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's definitely good feng shui, right? Um, But yeah, You know, I've been a feng shui consultant for about 15 years now, and um, I just always felt like you really aligned with a lot of the same values that I had, and and I'm I'm not an architect, but I am an interior designer, and I just always loved your approach to design and, and whole list, a lot of the words that, you know, the, the way that you do your designs and the words that you use were really what aligned with me. And I think that's what really ad- attracted to me to your style. Um, and I loved the fact that you were an architect because literally from the ground up, you're approaching a space with these ideals. So give us a little bit of background about how you got started. What made you decide to want to go into architecture and um, ultimately become a a feng shui interior designer and everything that you do? When I was growing up, I always wanted to be an artist. It was very artistic. But I had, you know, these Asian parents that said, well, you want to be an artist, so that means you should be an architect. So so somehow uh, I was set on that that uh, path very early on and actually I was reading a book last year and one of the questions was what is your earliest childhood memory 
So the first thing that popped into my mind was I love taking art classes. So I took this basket weaving class at the local park and I must have been, I don't know, 10 or 9. And I just remember we would soak these long pieces, uh, you know, of uh, fiber and you'd soak them until they softened and then you would weave them together. And I really loved that. And that was the first memory I could remember, a creative memory. And I love the metaphor of that where you take different elements and you weave them together into this beautiful container to hold meaningful objects or memories or whatever it is. So that's really what I think brought me to architecture is that architecture for me is really about creating a space for people to inhabit. It's not necessarily about making a beautiful space while while that's important. It's also really important to create a space that nurtures and supports you. Yes, and going back to the words that attracted me to you, um, those are absolutely the being nurturing and holistic and supportive, and um, which a lot of it does go back to feng shui, but really tying it into it's it's basically a lifestyle. It's how to live your life so that you are filled with balance and harmony and um, everything that you do inside and outside of your space, you bring that with you. Uh, Yes, absolutely. You know, I just published a book as well and in the forward, or not the forward, the acknowledgement, is it the acknowledgements? Uh, I can't remember what part, I I thank my parents for always creating safe and nurturing spaces for me throughout my entire life because it really affects your life and it shapes you how supportive your environment is. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's funny to me, sometimes I'll go into spaces and, and people will talk about things that are going wrong in their life. And I think a lot of it is, is that when you're in the midst of it, you can't really see the forest for the trees. But when you have an outsider come in, it's so obvious what the mm-hmm. it thing is or what they need to change. So that's one thing that I really love about feng shui is it's not even so much, you know, and, and I say this on my own website, it's not so much about the the uh, <coughs> trinkets or the, you know, a lot of people associate, I think, feng shui with um, trinkets and voodoo and, you know, they have weird associations to it, but it's not really about that. It's really about common sense and the way you approach everything in your life and placing those elements around you so that you are supported um, and everything that you do is approached with balance and harmony and not this chaotic lifestyle that so many of us feel that we have to have in order to be productive. Yes. And, you know, when you talk about the trinkets, it's it's funny. I'm sure you get this a lot, too. Sometimes clients will be like, well, I want – what about my crystal? Where do I put my feng shui crystal up? And, you know, we'll go through the whole consultation at the, and at the end I haven't told them to put a crystal up some, somewhere and they're like, well, I really wanted a crystal. And I said, well, I didn't really think you needed one, but if you really would like it, we can find a place to put it. But it isn't about what you put or what little object you put, although those can be very meaningful and make huge changes. But feng shui can be about much more than, like you said, putting the individual little trinkets up. Yeah, I. it's funny. I had a client about two years ago that I came to her home, and, and I don't know if you see this, but a lot of my consultations are mainly about two things, love and relationships and money. It's always those two things. Yeah. And um, I, this woman called me, and 
she said, I read this article about um, getting more money in my life and I'm, you know, always broke and money's racing out of my house. So I put popcorn in my bathroom and nothing, it, it's not working. Make it work. Popcorn? That's exactly <laughs> what I said. I was like, what? Excuse me? You put popcorn in your bathroom? She goes, well, I read this article and I had this whole thing about how you have to put popcorn in your bathroom and then all this money comes in. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't think that's the way that it works. And so, you know, I, I took a look at this bathroom and everything was wrong with it. Like the plumbing fixtures were dripping. Um, the faucet on the sink, the hot water didn't work. Only the cold water worked. I mean, everything in this bathroom was completely dilapidated. I'm like, there is no amount of popcorn that's going to fix this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck on the popcorn, but, uh, but it's so funny because a lot of people do think it's think that feng shui can be this magic pill that will change their life. And I think if you really thought about it, you know, that, in order to make big shifts in your life, you need to you need to work internally and and externally. And feng shui can be a way to one like support any internal changes you make, and also let the universe know in a, in a in a physical way. You know, not just by like you think it, you say it, and you you change the environment around you. But it's not a magic pill, or it's gonna it takes time and it takes effort. Yeah, and. What I have always called it is, is just really not only living more mindfully, but living intentionally. So it really is a, a mind, body, spirit type practice. You can't simply put popcorn in your bathroom, like you said, and <laughs> associate that, oh, well, this is the magic pill that's going to make everything um, appear as it should. It really is. Now, that may help because you're exuding the energy of expectation, mm -hmm. but it's more about aligning everything in your life because if you're doing one thing in your bathroom and thinking that popcorn or whatever the it factor is, is going to do something, but everything else is hectic and chaotic and out of order, then it's not going to work. It's really about that entire lifestyle and, and encapsulating that so that you are nurtured and can live your best life, whether you're in your space or you're out of your space. It's kind of mm -hmm. like your anchor, I guess. Yes. And actually, you know, tying back to your um, first question about how I be became a feng shui consultant or how I started incorporating that into my work, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was totally life transforming when I realized that I wanted to study feng shui and incorporate it into what I do on a daily basis and, and how I help people in the world. And it, and it was, it, I guess it was, a, it was a magic pill in that way, but my whole, but I went with it full force and integrated into many parts of my life and it can be a huge, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, that would be, um, I guess I would ask in your own words, why is it so important that we live in this way? It's, um, you know, not only living a, 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 or creating an environment that encapsulates us in balance and harmony, but also incorporating sustainability, green design, like it, it is this whole package. Why do you think it's so important to live that way? It, well, well, one thing is if someone's not ready for it, that's okay too. But if you're, if you are interested in being more conscious 
in areas in your life. Like for instance, for me, I was working in architecture and I was really not very happy with what I was doing. I was just going to a day job and I really disliked it. And I started getting depressed and I realized I needed to make some major changes in my life. So I had an epiphany and I started to go to meditation. I started to go to yoga classes and I started studying feng shui. It's like, how can I, how can I, what can I do? Because nothing else has been working. How do I make my life better? And then you start to see that, um, you know, there's like meditation and, and feng shui principles and even in green design and just being conscious of your connection to the world and your connection to your environment around you. One, it gives you power to understand that you can make changes and you can make shifts and you can take your life into your own hands and really create the life that you want. And two, you start to see that you touch everyone else and everything you do affects everyone else too. So it's almost like like medit when I go to meditation classes or if I learn go to feng shui classes or if whatever I'm interested in it all it all, it's just, it's all ends up being the same story is that it's so important to realize that we're not islands but we all touch each other and we can all help and support each other each other and and we're all energy and we all affect each other mm, yeah I totally agree with that and I think that it's um it's interesting that you said that you had the epiphany. I've talked about on this show and also on my own blog about how I did the same thing that I was, I was practicing feng shui for many years. And, um, in the midst of it, uh, four years ago, I was going through a divorce. And so it was the first time that I understood and I fully believed in what I was practicing and I did it in my own home. But it was during my divorce that I had this aha moment of, oh my God, this is why this works. And what I did is, is I had a portion of the furnishings from our home. I, I had moved out of our um, married home into a house that I rented. And as I was walking through the space, I was depressed. I was miserable. I was just kind of in this state. And my head knew that I shouldn't stay in this state because I knew I would attract more of it, mm. but I couldn't get out of this state. And so I did the yoga and the meditation and I was slowly getting there. But the epiphany that I had was everything that was around me and surrounded me was from that past life. Mm -hmm. So I just took this bold move and I put everything up on Craigslist as a lot. And I'm like, it's for sale. I put a, a stupidly low price tag on it. And I was like, just come and take everything. No, you can't have one or two items. It's all or nothing. And so I did that. I sold everything down to my silverware. Wow. And it was great because I really needed the money at the time. Like for those who are listening, divorce <laughs> is very expensive. <laughs> but it was... It was such a life transforming event for me because everything that was quote unquote in my comfort zone was gone. Um, everything in my life literally changed overnight. So it was a great way for me to strip down to nothing and just start fresh. And it was 
mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it was exactly what I needed to get back on track to step out of the depression and the negativity um, that I had, you know, had gotten myself on. And as soon as the, uh, it was a production company that actually had purchased everything, they did uh, like set design and stuff. And like the last, it ended up taking them like three truckloads to get everything out. But as they closed the last truck, I remember that night, I had never slept so great. And I just felt like I had been completely cleansed. Oh, wow. And that was when I really had my aha because a lot of the feng shui studies, um, you know, whichever uh, practice you study, it teaches you that in order to make room for the new, you have to get rid of the old. Mm-hmm. And I did it in a really big way. I mean, I didn't just clean out my garage. I got rid of everything. But it really it kind of set the precedence for the universe to say, hey, that life is gone. I'm done with that. We're moving forward. And then as soon as I did that, all of these amazing things started to open up in my life. Mm. Yeah, I like to say that the universe always wants to fill a vacuum. And sometimes we're so scared to let go of everything that we have around us, our belongings or our whatever it is, our material items. We don't want to let go of it. We need we need them all around us. But when we're so packed, so full with all this um, energy and all these things, there's no room for the energy to or for the universe to fill it with something better. And when we create a vacuum and kind of release things, we can, we create space for the universe to fill it with something even better. Yeah. And it was a great, it was really a good example for me and an experience because I couldn't, I could relate to my clients in many ways, but that was one area where I really couldn't. And I felt like I really walked through the fire in that experience because it took me about a year to fully, you know, go through all the the motions and get to that point. But it was a great way for me now when I work with clients. And like you said, for some reason, we emotionally attach ourselves to things, you know, whatever the comfort is that it brings us, but we feel like we can't get rid of it. But if you ask anybody who during some type of traumatic event, whether their house has burned down or they've lost those things, at the end of it, it wasn't really about the things. So it was, it's really a great way for me when I'm working with new clients that are fearful of letting go of things to show them that if they can just take that chance and take that leap over the cliff, that they're going to look back and say, why the hell didn't I do this sooner? Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember one time I did a little road trip around the south and we went to all these thrift stores because I love thrift stores, actually. And I saw all these things I used to have and I never <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I never would have remembered I had this whatever <laughs> it is. It's totally useless. I would never want it again. But and I and that's just a few things. There's so many. We have so much stuff. There's so many things that we have that we have in our lives and we'll never need them again. And do we really need them now? And, and people are so scared to let go of them. Yeah. And I don't know why, um, you know, we definitely in the last 100 years, probably even the last 50 years, we have started accumulating more things. Um, and I was just reading an article the other day that our homes are twice as big as they used to be in the seventies. 
So it's interesting because simultaneously we have, uh, while homes are getting larger, we, we're also seeing this huge movement of tiny houses and how people are um, in big ways letting go of that big mortgage and that big house and wanting to give back to the environment and be sustainable and they're moving into these tiny houses and they're doing it and they're more happy than they've ever been. So yes. it's interesting. It is interesting. Actually, I was just thinking about that today because I was in a, I went to a client's apartment to measure and we're trying to, in, in, in New York City, space is at a premium. And we're we are doing probes, making little holes all around the apartment to see where we could take back space where there had been areas where the developer had built out the, the walls further than they needed to be to for whatever reason. You know, maybe there's a pipe that we can build it at the wall much closer. But everyone, like I was like, you know, it's crazy how they just built it like this before. And no one really cared about losing those two inches. But now in New York City, in 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 this day and age, everyone's like, I want that two, those two inches back for that extra storage or whatever it is. And we just have we just need more stuff now, I guess. But then there's also that um, need for minimalism that a lot of people have. One of my friends was telling me about she has a capsule wardrobe now, and a ca- she want, she has like a she eats in a she has a capsule eating or a diet where she just has a few things, maybe a handful of things that she goes to. Like she has a handful of things in her closet that are that she can just go to. You don't have to spend all this time making a decision on what to wear, but you have these five or ten things that go well together, and that can just be your go-to wardrobe. I love that because mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said about the anxiety of – you know, stepping into your closet and looking at 40 different things, which there's probably only three that you really ever wear the most of, but that energy that you're putting off while you're in there of, holy shit, I don't have time for this. Like, I just need to pick something. And then because you did it in a rushed state, you leave the house and you're like, I don't know if, you know, I should have worn this, or maybe I should have done that. And then you're questioning yourself. Well, that's another thing I tell, like a, a personal story that I have about my closet. A couple of years ago, I was so busy that year that I did not even unpack my summer clothes. So I ended up just buying new clothes and wearing them. And and I like to tell people, like, when I finally went through all that I, I and went through all my clothes and got rid of the ones I don't wear, I actually lost weight because I had been, like, holding on to all this stuff in my closet and, and my body was also holding on to weight in that same way. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to have to go through or take the time to go through it. And it only, it only took an afternoon. It doesn't really take that long when you think about it, but we get so scared and I have, um, I tell clients like, look, you know, sometimes they say, oh yeah, keep that pair of high school jeans that you want to get back into. But I say, no, actually you should let those go and give them away because one, you will almost never fit back into them. That's the truth. <laughs> but um, two, it's like for me, it's like when I see that pair of jeans every time I look in my drawers, my closet, it creates a sense of guilt or judgment or this negativity that like I'm still looking like I'm going to be happier in the future if I lose weight and fit into these jeans. So it's, you're not living in the present. 
you're letting something that you may or may not ever use again take up valuable space in your closet. And and again, like it's just this, this way of making yourself feel guilty and it takes up space in your mind that, you, you know, just let go of it. Buy clothes that fit you right now that make you feel great. I love that. That's such a great analogy and I never really looked at it that way but you're absolutely right if you are looking at something that represents judgment and guilt um, I'm not even sure if you do actually attain it which a lot of people probably don't which then sets in failure again you're emitting that energy and so you get kind of on this hamster wheel of a cycle to where you can't ever really get out of that and if you do let go and get into something that makes you feel like totally kick ass and you feel great that you're in and, you know, combine that with some other things like you're having a great hair day, you're in some killer hills, whatever it is. But when you feel really good, a lot of things are going to change in your day and things are going to be better. You're going to attract better things because you feel so great and you're going to be putting that energy out into the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And I love the idea of the capsule wardrobe because, I, again, I, I don't know what it is. We've, I talk about this a lot. I, I write a lot of articles about this level of consumerism. And I, I feel like a lot of us have, you know, this uh, incessant need to fill um, a void, whether it's an emotional thing. It's probably an, an emotional uh, issue. But, you know, we, we try to fill that void with stuff. And, it, you know, it might be the instant gratification of the moment, but then it just stacks up in our closet. So I love the idea of really simplifying and being able to have the courage to limit it down to just a few things and being okay with that. Yeah, and it also, I think, frees your frees your mind of that stress of having to decide. We have so many options now. We, people get just get paralyzed with you, you. You would know, especially with like just interior design or architecture, or with almost anything. People have so many choices that they are completely paralyzed. They can't make a decision, and then they stress and have anxiety about it. For for that's really unnecessary. It's just like, it's not the end of the world. No one's going to die here. Let's just pick a sofa, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what is it like? I mean, you've designed all over the place uh, and you mentioned earlier New York. What is it like designing spaces that are so small? You, well, um, do you find it challenging or do you really enjoy trying to maximize these small spaces? I mean, I've never done, um, probably the smallest home I've ever done was 800 square feet. And I think that's pretty big for New York. Yes, that's big for New York. My apartment's 800 square feet and it's a one bedroom. Um, I really actually like designing with constraints. I think I like working with limitations. I it gives me a structure and it gives me, gives me something to go on. That's why I actually really love incorporating feng shui into design because yeah, you could, we could just put this bed anywhere, right? It'll look, it could look good on this wall, this wall, this wall, and you could base it on function. But then feng shui gives you this other set of guidelines to educate your decision and inform your decision. So you can 
make a good de- make a decision based on feng shui, based on the flow, based on the function, and based on aesthetics. And it really gives you a clear sense on how things can be laid out in your home or in your office. So I really like. I actually like working with constraints. I think it. it I think if I had like this huge like house, because I use I mostly work in New York. If I had this huge house, it, I probably wouldn't. It would be a little bit more difficult for me. I'd be like, what do you do with all this room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and he, I'm uh, in Nashville, and so a lot of the homes here average twenty five hundred to four thousand square feet. So um, it it can be challenging because, uh, especially here, the family unit is exceptionally important, and so they want larger homes to have more space because they have, you know, pretty big families and dogs and things like that in the homes. But there's always areas of these homes that get neglected. So mm. it could become, it's the junk room or it's the guest bedroom slash exercise slash dry cleaning. You know, there's like, there becomes dumping grounds. Yeah. So that's the challenging thing is, you know, I have clients that specifically call me that do want feng shui and they really want to create that harmony in their life and they have an understanding of it and then I have clients who are at their wits end and have tried everything and aren't sure that they're you know signed up for this whole feng shui thing or you know if they even agree with it but they're so desperate that they'll try anything so I think that's the challenge yeah, that is a challenge. But I think that people do know that their spaces affect you. I mean, there's a reason why people save up. I mean, their home is going to be the, one of the biggest purchases of their life. And the renovation would probably be the second um, biggest purchase. So it's something they save up a lot of money for. And everyone wants their like dream kitchen or their dream home. And people know that it really is important how comfortable and how good you feel in your space so they know there's some there's something wrong and if you can uh improve your environment that you could improve your life so what where feng shui fits in that you know sometimes I tell people you know if you read a book if you read a fictional novel you could just read it for what it is like there's a story about a girl and she goes to school and she meets someone whatever and gets married Or you could start reading metaphor into that, right? You could start to understand the subtleties that maybe the writer did or didn't intend to put in with the words, with the language, with the storyline, and you can find your own meaning in it and it becomes very meaningful. And I say, you know, feng shui can also be like that too. You could look at your desk. This is just a brown desk. You could could look at your whole life like that. Or you could start reading into it and seeing um, the metaphor in it and seeing how it affects you and finding beauty in that. And then your life just becomes richer. Yeah. And that's absolutely true because it, it, we all have our own perceptions and that reminds me of a story. I am trying to remember, I think I might've read it in a book. Um, I think it was the, it was, uh, one of those books of just say yes. Um, but it was talking about this scenario where this gentleman was going into work every day. He hated his job. He hated his coworkers. He just hated everything. And he hated the work that he had to do. And so, you know, the weekend would finally come, but 
you know, in a flash, it would be Sunday at 4 p.m. And he'd hit this cycle of great depression because he knew he had to go back to the office. And so he goes to this counselor and he's like, I'm miserable. Like, just give me some drugs. I'm, I'm depressed. I hate what I do. I hate the people I work with. And I, you know, I just hate it. And so the therapist, I assumed that she would say, well, quit. But rather than just, you know, giving the obvious answer, she said, well, let's try something different. You know, we create our own realities. And so your perception is that you don't like your coworkers and you don't like your cubicle and you don't like what you do and, you know, whatever. So she says, instead, let's try to reframe the way that you think about your space and your job and what you do. So for the next week, I want you to go into work and I don't want you to hold that dreadful feeling. Whatever it takes for you to get into a space of feeling good, whether you have to, you know, think about a happy time in your childhood or something you did fun over the weekend, or maybe you even focus on the following weekend what you're going to do, like give yourself some kind of a target so that you're excited. And Mm -hmm. go into work and just say yes. It was kind of that whole being just mindful and intentional about everything that he was doing. And, you know, your boss hands you uh, some type of work-related project that you have to work on. And instead of going, oh, another project that I'm going to dread, you're going to say absolutely and I'm going to get this done a day early or whatever it is. But just like those little mind shifts. And she said, and I want you to report back to me next week when you come in and tell me, you know, where we're at and how you feel. So to his amazement, he does what she says and he comes back into his session the next week and she's like, and, and he, she was amazed because he came in and he was like, oh my God, just simply changing my attitude changed everything around me and his perception. Like what he didn't realize is because he was so miserable all the time that his coworkers avoided him because they didn't want to be a part of that negativity. And as Mm -hmm. soon as his attitude changed, then they started being more helpful. They were working with him. His boss liked him. So just those subtle changes completely changed his environment. Wow. That's a great story. So I, I, you know, I love hearing stories about that because, you know, and I've said this before, like whenever I get around somebody that's in like this pissy mood and pissed off and, you know, it, it, it's really about, um, Attitude is everything, and attitude is the difference between an ordeal and a journey. So which way are you going to look at it? And so I love it when I'm working with a client that isn't entirely sure if feng shui is going to work with them or help them because I can use my own experience with my divorce, and then I've got all these other little, you know, experimental, uh, either I've read scenarios or I've seen it happen with my own clients that I can share with them. And then they get excited because they want that transformation to happen in their life too. So it kind of bridges the gap, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. So what are some things when you go into a space, do clients often call you because they want to have feng shui in their home or is it something that you just automatically incorporate into your designs? It's both. Um, There are some people that call me not knowing that I do feng shui and just for architecture work. And for the most part, I will always design with feng shui principles. And I'll, I'll usually tell them, I'll say, you know, I actually do feng shui. So this is 
the reason why I laid it out this way was better for feng shui. And, and it's interesting in the recent years, people are, people are like, yeah, tell me, tell me. <laughs> they're like, I, they're like, I'll try anything. <laughs> so they're really, op- people are really open to hearing it. They may not you know, really embrace it all, but I'm also very much about function as well. So, you know, the feng shui aspect is really important. And the feng shui that I practice, BTV feng shui, gives a lot of ways to make adjustments. So if, say, we can't place the bed in the best position, I can adjust it with the mirror and I'm, and that's okay. You know, if, if for, this, for whatever reason, the owner would really just want their bed the other way, I say, well, it's better this way because of feng shui and the commanding position and this puts you in control of your life. But if it's really not going to work out well, let's make sure, you know, I want to make sure that you have a mirror set up in such a way that you do it. And, and that's on them too. If, if I'm not helping them with furniture for them to go through with that, but I always let them know. And, um, but I, I don't think I could design something without feng shui principles in mind. It's definitely part of my style now. Yeah. And, you know, and I've had that happen too. I've had clients that, um, you know, in a bedroom, they didn't want their bed in the ideal place. But at the end of the day, to me, it's more important about the energy that they emit and how they feel about the space. And if in the ideal location, they don't feel right about it or it doesn't feel good to them, then to me, they're putting off awkward energy. It's not working for them. And so if just that simple movement, if it works for them in another spot and it makes them happy and that's what they're going to be putting out into the universe, that to me far, you know, that, that supersedes everything. Yes, absolutely. Like I had one client, I was telling her actually for her employees she didn't want to be, she didn't want to put them in the commanding position, which is when you, you know, but when you face the door and you don't have your back to the door. And so I was trying to explain it to her and she's like, you know, I, she's like, I feel more comfortable when I'm facing the wall. And at that time I was, uh, you know, shortly after that I was talking to my mentor and I told him and he's like, you know, that's really interesting. He's like, it's because she's not ready to be in command of her life. She She's not ready to look look at things. So, you know, you have to respect that. If they're not ready to look at it, we're not there to, I don't think forcing it on anyone really helps them. No, because again, that just creates awkward energy Mm because they don't feel good about it. So that's interesting though. What a, what a great perspective to, to say that she's not ready, which interestingly enough, many of her employees may disagree with that. They may not like their backs to the door. Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So it, you're, you're focusing on one, uh, and if she's not going to be in that office, it could, it could interfere with the others. I had that situation in my own office um, when I had built out my space several years ago. We had originally put um, our cash wrap in the center of the store, and I had put the, – the main computers were on the cash wrap, but I also put a computer behind the cash wrap so that if somebody wanted to do some work and, and they didn't want to get inter, you know, interference from um, sales, they could sit there. And what mm-hmm. I found is that even though that option was there, they would still use the cash wrap computers because they were facing forward. Yeah, you know what I like to say? I like to, and this always works with men, and men are very, some men are very resistant, more men, men are more likely to be resistant to feng shui, but I always say, where do you like to sit at a restaurant? 
And they always say, oh, in the very back with my back against the wall, not in line with the door, but facing the door. They always, men always want to be sitting in the commanding position of a restaurant. Isn't that interesting? And they, and they get it. They're like, oh, you know, we also call it the, like the mafia boss position, but still like, certainly when you're at a restaurant, you, um, and and there's many people, many people I know that just will will not, they never want to sit with their back facing the door. They just want to be able to see the door. They don't want some unknown person walking behind them. They want to be in control of their space and feel comfortable. Yeah, I and I, I do the same thing. I mean, I don't like to have my back to the door because it's startling. If you're really focused on what you're doing and someone comes in, it startles you. Mm-hmm. So you feel mm-hmm. vulnerable. So it really makes sense that somebody would sit in the corner of a restaurant and be able to view the space and have the security of something behind their back, knowing that no one's going to come up upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think a lot of these principles are common sense as well. Oh, yeah. And I tell that to a lot of my clients is that, you know, it's not about the trinkets and the voodoo and the, you know, we're going to put this here and do this here. A lot of it is just utilizing common sense and feeling safe and secure, you know, within your space so that it really does um, lift your spirits and make you feel good. I went into, um, we actually um, were working on a house last year that was a tiny house and they had put this bed in the back of the, they're built on trailers, but they put a bed in the back of this trailer and it was a platform bed that had wood that went around the mattress. The mattress like sat inside of it. Mm-hmm. But because the space was so tiny and it had this wood that came out, it had sharp corners. So mm. every time they walked to get into bed, they were kicking the damn corners. <laughs> and I was like, this is just common sense. You don't put a bed like this in a small house and kick it every night. Or, you know, when you're waking up in the morning, <laughs> your furniture's biting you. That's not good feng shui. But no. aside from good feng shui, that's just not good design. No. And, you're, and you probably will have very scarred shins. <laughs> yes. And it was funny because um, before I even went to the back of the bedroom, they were, you know, talking about how um, – you know, they would spend maybe evenings in the, the front of the trailer, but for the most part, they didn't spend a lot of time in there. They would go out with friends or be out and about. And I, you know, um, somehow we got around about to like Sunday mornings. I asked them, you know, if they would stay uh, in the house and maybe read or do something like that. And they were like, no, we don't really spend a lot of time in here. And um, as we ventured back and I, I noticed that, you know, they had this weird platform. I was like, good God, you know, that your, your association right now with this area of the house is that it hurts. And so they, uh, got rid of the, the platform. I think what they did is I think they removed, somehow they cut down the wood and kind of rounded it out. And it's funny because she emailed me towards the end of last year and she's like, we spend so much more time in there now that those things are off and we never, we never noticed. And I was like, how do you not notice something that you're hitting all the time? But you know, they just, I guess it became a way of life. So they just, you know, uh, started to live with it and just associated with, well, this is the way it's got to be. Isn't that funny that, you know, it's something that is hurting them and it bothers them, but they didn't feel like they had options to change it. No. Well, I mean, we, we see it all the time. We see the patterns. 
and uh but it's it is funny yeah people just don't connect with it <laughs> it's that whole outsider it's like the woman with the popcorn it's the outsider coming in going <laughs> um well i think there's a few other things that we need to work on yes that's so funny why i don't understand the popcorn but yeah, I, I, I asked her where she had seen it, and she couldn't locate it, but I guess she had read an article in a magazine, like some shelter magazine, and I have a feeling, like, I don't know for sure, but it was probably in something like a Woman's Day or something that was more like a smaller magazine, and it probably had other things. I, I'm going to assume that the article was written by somebody who knew a lot about feng shui and probably wrote several things and for whatever reason this client honed in on popcorn probably because she thought oh, i have that in the pantry i can do that right now it, <laughs> exactly but you know it's also it's funny because there, there is one thing that that story reminds me of too is because now that i've written my book a lot of people are like oh well you know should I put, what should I put in this, the health area that's in the center? Should I put, I need to put something yellow. And I said, well, you can, you could definitely put something yellow, but that's really like the most basic way that you can interpret this, you know, like you can, which is, it's like a, one of my friends calls it Barnes and Noble feng shui. Like just really like if you want to just go read a book and which, which is really helpful and, and will make, help you make good changes in your life. But there's also like there's so much more to it and more depth to it, especially if you work with a practitioner that, um, you know, maybe we could make the popcorn work if we really thought about it, you know. Yeah, maybe. But, but um, it's funny how some, some things get taken really literally, but it's because it's really something I think orig originally it was de developed so you would work with a master practitioner to really work with your particular energy in your space. But, you know, we do have to give you know, people want to do things on their own and like, we want to make our own websites. People want to do their own feng shui and you can, you know, there, there is, you could have some good, um, good results and make, and start to make really great changes in your life. But also there's like a lot that you can gain from working with someone as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do classes at my local library, um, on feng shui and here in the South, like I grew up in California, that's where I first got certified. And so it's, it's much more widely practiced and understood and accepted. And here in the South, I think that it conflicts a little bit with religious beliefs. And so it's been kind of like an educational process of, of showing people, you know, how to incorporate it into their lives. And it's just really about living a, a better lifestyle through common sense. And so I had a class in January and I had this uh, attendee, uh, attendee that was there and she kept honing in on, yes, but what about the elements? I need to make sure <laughs> that I have the metal and the wood and the water. And like I would explain to her, like, you know, don't focus on that right now. We need to look at the bigger picture. And like I would get through a couple more slides and she'd be like, well, well, what about these elements? You know, like, and she just kept honing in on the elements and how all five elements had to be in every room in a particular order and in, you know, and they had to be associated correctly or the feng shui would be wrong. And I brought that up to her about the, you know, well, yes, that's what it states in a lot of textbooks, but that's not necessarily the way that you need to focus on that. You, I, it, you probably need to focus on many other things before you get to that part. It's, it's a whole picture. 
And so I suggested to her, I was like, you know, you might want to have somebody like myself come out and just take a look at your space because it could be, it, you might need a little bit of the elements in there, but it's probably much more than that. And I could just tell from her anxiety. I was like, I think there's other things that we could work on than just the elements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like she has a lot of metal element and she might need some more wood element. But also that's another thing too, like, there's no, there's no right answer with feng shui. It's a lot of it's intuitive as well. Like, you know, what you would give someone might not be the same thing I would, well, is most likely not the same thing I would give someone, but it's about who you happen to be attracted to and who you're working with and who you get along with and, and what occurs to them, like what comes up to them intuitively that is going to support you. Yeah. And that's a really great point because, um, I am clear sensory. So when I go to a space, I will often tell a client not to say anything to me because I can walk the space and I can get a feeling of mm -hmm. what is wrong with the space. And I can often pick up right away what needs to be fixed um, through intuition. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of times, I mean, I've gone into many homes over the years and I will know right away just from the energy of the home, if they've been dealing with a death or a death is approaching if they're going through a divorce like I can feel that and so a lot of times I go strictly on that before I even go into the textbook stuff you mm -hmm. know and that's it, it is a great point that you said that everybody's going to approach it a little bit differently and it is an ongoing um, education I mean I I first got certified 15 years ago and my education's been ongoing. Like I've, I've studied, I've taken classes from Carol Olmsted. I'm currently taking classes from Karen Rock Carter. Um, I, I hope to be taking, uh, Tisha Morris is, is another one who I admire. Like I'm constantly taking courses and new classes, not because of the certification, but because I want to see their approach and see how they see things because it's a great way to learn more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I believe and have been taught that we, well, all of us, we, we attract people that we need in our lives for some reason. So like a lot of, or well, with, so like with a lot of the clients we get or the work that we get or whatever we're, we're, we're uh, like clients that we get, we, there's something that we have to learn from them as well. So it's always a learning process and it's always evolving and, and shifting it's funny that you say that because a lot of the clients that I do attract are, um, you said love, yeah, and... love and, and love and relationships and wealth mm -hmm, seem to be mm -hmm. the two that I attract the most. And I always say that, you know, nobody ever calls me for wisdom and knowledge. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to know what you're going to do with your love or you got to know what you're going to do with your relationship and, and your money. But nobody ever calls for that. It's like the least sexy, uh, gua of feng shui. <laughs> So I well, tell I will. People. Well, those I will say those two areas are the most popular, and I think around, across the board. Well, it's funny because I'm reading the new Tony Robbins book, uh, Master Your Money, and it's funny. oh, I hear it's good. It's really, really good, and I write a lot of posts, um, not only with my local paper but on my own blog. Um, I do a lot of money articles, and I've had people along. The, you know, I've been blogging now for about six years and I've had people over the years say, why the hell do you write so much about money? Like you're an interior designer. 
And I tell people all the time, it has everything to do with what I'm doing because I can go into a home and I can feng shui it till the cows come home. But if subconsciously they're worried about money and, you know, they've got a, a pattern that they're in this state of lack or there's not enough or they don't respect their money, it's going to affect how they live in their home and, and the money that they attract. And so... Um, the chapter that I'm in now, I'm, I'm in chapter nine, and he's talking about how um, there's basically uh, three emotional factors in our lives that affect everything that we do. And it's love, money, and um, <laughs> our bodies, like fitness and, and how we take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how true that is, because those those are probably the, the three multi-billion dollar things that we put all of our money into because we want to be richer we want to be loved and we want to always look good yes those are really important things and i and people are very interested in those things especially with feng shui Mm -hmm. so and i i write articles all the time about you know how to create a sense of security and how to feel good about your money um you know i just wrote an article on how to feng shui your wallet like I had this woman who called me and she was like, I need you to come out to my house. I, money comes in, but it goes out quicker than I can even get my hands on it. And like, I, it's just, it's like, it's gone. It's like, I'm losing it. And so. <clears throat> oh, well, I have a way to feng shui my wallet. I want to hear your way. Um, well, I, I put, I think I have nine tips in the article, but it was, um, first and foremost, have a really great looking wallet and a, you yes. know, a, a wallet that just kicks ass and you feel great about. Her biggest thing is that she always threw her purse and her wallet around, mainly her wallet. So she would be doing something and she would take her wallet out of her purse and then she'd throw it somewhere. So mm. that's not respecting your money. That's subconsciously just throwing stuff around. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, that's a, that's a great example of why you keep losing money. Hint, hint. Put credit cards, um, only put, uh, one to two credit cards in your purse because a lot of my clients will have nine to 15 and what do credit cards represent? They represent debt. Wow. So, um, get rid of credit cards, um, only carry a couple. And if you do, if you happen to have a special credit card, like I have one client that just got, um, the black American express card. Mm-hmm. I think he's more excited about just being, you know, getting, uh, the card itself. I, I think he's scared to death to use it, but I'm like, <laughs> because you feel so good about it and you're proud about it, put that in your wallet. Mm-hmm. Always make sure that your wallet is, um, pristine and doesn't have cracks or tears or, you know, make sure it's in good working condition. Um, mm-hmm. get rid of receipts because receipts also equal debt and it's trash and it's clutter. Um, so I always say get rid of that and organize like, um, I always recommend keeping your wallet and your purse organized because if it's disheveled or things are disorganized, then your financials are disorganized. It's a subconscious thing. And then finally, this is probably the most controversial topic ever. I always tell people not to put family photos in their wallet. And Mm. I always get the most backlash from that. But I do not believe in having, I think that they, like a lot of people keep their photos in their their phones. I think that's a great place for it. But to me, um, family photos should not go in a wallet because it's more about focusing on your financial health. And to me, it's mixing the energies. 
Ah, okay. That's a good idea. My, my have, I have three ways that I feng shui in my wallet. One is um, similar to yours to have a nice wallet or even get a new wallet. Get, you know, if you have maybe bad money chi associated or, or not bad, but you know, the money chi that you don't want associated with that wallet to get a new one and to kind of splurge on and get something nice and not secondhand to get something with new energy. And to the second one would be to similar to what you're saying, like respect the money. But, uh, I keep, I would say to keep all the bills in order, like have them all facing the same direction Mm, and yeah, that's a good one. And not jamming in like you know, people sometimes just jam in their dollars, and you're not respecting your money. So it also it also forces you to keep track of what you have in there if you're organizing it. And then I all and I always say to put it in order with the biggest bills in the front. Oh, I like that tip. Yeah, it's so funny. I was telling one of my girlfriends that, and she's like, girls, she's like, I always do that anyway because, like, she wants everyone to see the big bill first. But it's also you see the big bill first, so it creates a different sense of wealth for you. you instead of seeing a dollar, you'll see, like, a 50 or a 100. That looks – that's more encouraging. And Absolutely. Then, yeah. And then I also um, have p- people carry a piece of citrine in their wallet if they can fit it in there. Um, women usually can, men might, may not be able to, which is, um, a natural, uh, naturally or semi-precious gemstone that attracts wealth and prosperity. Yeah. Uh, I actually included in my article, the top four stones to put in your purse. If you can carry them, like put them in a, um, like a bag or something that helps mm-hmm. attract wealth. I think citrine was one of them. I know aquamarine was the other one. Um, but yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and the other thing um, I also included in the uh, article is um, a good friend of mine, Chris Alexandria. She wrote this book. Um, I'd highly recommend it to a lot of people. It's called Ask Formations. Um, and she's, she's an intuitive, but she has this um, belief that affirmations are great, but they're not strong enough because you're just simply stating to the universe that you want something. And so her theory is, is that what she did is she changed it and she made it into ask formations. So you're putting out into the universe a question that it has to answer. Mm. So I always tell people to put an ask formation in their wallet, something to the effect of why do I attract so much money so easily and quickly? Something along those lines so that the universe has to answer that question. Oh, interesting. So it's a really great, um, way rather than saying I easily attract money you know it's just it's so vague and it just kind of sits there and it's kind of stagnant energy it's, yeah it's static whereas I easily you know how how it why is it so easy for me to constantly and easily attract so much money mm. so just by reframing um the the way that you uh do it it leaves it open-ended so that it's it's moving energy yeah, I think that's great. You know, there's one other comment I have about wealth and, and feng shui, and it, I think it might be controversial, but I would like to know what you think about it, especially because you're like, because so since you're a designer like me, you go into a lot of people's homes and they tend to be more wealthy since they can afford us. Um, I've noticed that the wealthier you are, or it tends to be that people who are wealthy have, have very little clutter. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm, filing through my head right now of all my 
higher in clients. And I would say that that is a true statement. Because I think that people who have maybe, maybe they're, maybe they have a lot of money, but they feel poor. And also the people with that, that have a pop more of a poverty mentality tend to hold on to things and they, and they think, Oh, I can't throw away that piece of tape or whatever that envelope because I might need it again. And whereas someone who maybe has better money, energy, wealth, energy, they're, they'll just throw it away or give it away because they know they can just buy it again. It's not an issue. So I think that, I think, um, there's definitely a correlation. Yeah. What a, Fantastic observation. I would have to agree with that. Okay, I'm glad. I, I, you know, I've talked about it with a couple people, but I think it's it can be controversial, and there's always, you know, there's always something that might contradict that. Like some some people have told me, well, wealthy people can have like a a junk drawer. Yeah, of course. But people who have like who who just are so scared to throw away things are tend to be those people. They don't want to throw it away because they don't. They're scared they won't be able to have the money to buy it again, they might need it again, and they're, they're holding on so tightly to things because uh, it's similar to the poverty mentality that they, they never have enough or they yeah, don't deserve a, it's enough. it's the cycle of lack. Mm-hmm. There's always lack in their life, and so they're attracting more of it, and they don't realize that they're attracting more lack. Yeah, and, and clutter, I always say, on, from my perspective, clutter doesn't have to be a bad thing, and a lot of people who are absolutely nowhere close to being hoarders I'll come in there and they'll be like oh I'm so sorry it's so cluttered it's so messy and I'm like this is not this is like fine what are you talking about yeah and um and and there's nothing wrong with that I mean and there's of course extremes but you know clutter clutter is its own conversation but I do see that correlation and I think I'm going to start telling people that that I I see this correlation. Well, and what I learned from Carol Olmsted, and I love this, is that clutter is postponed energy. And she's absolutely right. Because if you've got that junk room or that guest room that has a bunch of stuff in it, or even that basket on your counter that you don't go through, it is in fact postponed energy. Mm-hmm. So, and you're right, if you're holding on to that, you're in this mentality of lack. And so you're not making room for the universe to fill up that vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that wealthy people, you know, the reason that they're wealthy is because they're thriving in, in um, probably their career and in their lives and other areas. And so it's very important for them to have a space that nurtures them. And nurturing to them is not clutter. Like mm-hmm. if you're a busy entrepreneur or, you know, a VIP of a company or if you're out there really kicking butt – you're getting, a, you're hit every day with a lot of chaos and it's very hectic. So you don't want to come home to hectic. Mm-hmm. I like I that lo- observation. Yeah, I like it too. No, I don't I'm- think that's controversy at all. I think that my photos in the wallet is more controversial. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, God, I don't, even, I don't remember the last time I had room for photos in my wallet. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever carried photos in my wallet, but I do have some old school, older clients that still have like the trifecta, (laughs) you know, they'll pull out and I'm like, okay, it's not 1980, let's get them on our phone. But, you know, a lot of people who are interested in in feng shuiing their wallet or their purse or just really trying to get a handle on their finances, I mean, it's literally one step at a time. And so I always start there because it's easy, it's simple, it's something that is manageable and you can do right away. It's like feng shui in 30 minutes or less. 
and it's tangible. So I, I feel like if you have those other associations with your money, it's diluting it. So if you are having money issues or you have a feeling of lack or you're trying to pay something off or you need extra money, let's focus entirely on one energy at a time. Yes. So it's more about focus than anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Awesome. Well, Angie, we are a little bit over an hour here, <laughs> um, which I knew we would be. I was so excited to talk with you. Um, if people are interested in learning more about you or want to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? So I have a website. I, well, actually, I have two websites. I have AngieCho.com, and that's spelled A N J I E. CHO.com. And I also have a website, uh, holisticspaces.com. And that's H O L I S T I C S P A C E S.com. Holistic. So holistic with an H. And I also uh, just recently published a book called 108 Ways to Create Holistic Spaces. And um, I also, so the Holistic Spaces website is an online store with some feng shui adjustment objects. Have aromatherapy for your numerology. So those awesome. were just a couple things. That's mm -hmm. another thing. I have numerology on my website. Everybody always goes, well, what does numerology have to do with design? So. Well, <laughs> which, do you do the nine star key? Um, I do a little bit of that because that incorporates with um, feng shui, but I just do Chaldean numerology. Oh, okay. Well, but it ties I... in very closely with how we live our lives. And, you know, our homes have a numerical vibe to it and everything around us has a numerical vibe to us. So that affects how we live our lifestyles. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, well, it was awesome to talk with you today. I'm so glad that we were finally able to sit down and do this. And I'm, uh, we might have to do this again because there's quite a bit that we did not get a chance to talk about today. I know we had such big plans. <laughs> Always happens that way. Well, thank you again for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Talk to you soon. Karen Kingston, author and feng shui expert, defines sacred spaces by getting rid of the clutter. According to her, the number one reason people hang on to their clutter is this. Well, I might need it just in case. That's why we keep it. She has found that her clients say that someday, someday, they may need it. As Angie and I spoke of today, just in case indicates a lack of trust in the future and holds you hostage to your past. So if you take anything away from this podcast today, let go, be free, and find yourself in a familiar place, but seeing it for the first time. I want to thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Amanda, and if you like this podcast, leave us a review or subscribe. If you'd like more information on this guest or show, email me at info at gatesinteriordesign.com or find me on Twitter at the Amanda Gates. Here's to living your best life. Bye for now.